and I'll be going there in just a moment, but you may want to get open to Acts chapter 15, and uh, <clears throat> if you're not familiar around the Bible, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Acts. Okay. Uh, no, it's actually in the New Testament, and uh, it's over a few pages after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to be in the 15th chapter. A uh, very intriguing story there, which... Uh, has caught my attention more than once, let me tell you. Got a question for you this morning. We're kind of borrowing it from uh, modern culture. And my question is, got grace? Got grace? I don't have the bumper stickers made up, but got grace? That's three. Got grace? Yes. If you already answered, you don't have to answer again. I'm trying to get the others awake. Got grace? How many want me to stop asking that? I will, as soon as you answer it. Got grace? Yes. Share it. Whoop. Whoop. Acts chapter 15 actually going to start at verse 36 this morning. And this is, as I said, an intriguing story that kind of speaks for itself, but I want you to, I want you to think about if there's any kind of personal application that you and I can make here. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, now here's, here are the two actors, here are the two main characters as we start the story. Paul and Barnabas. He said, let's go back and visit with the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That seems innocent enough. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. So for our reference, we're going to call him John Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So they had, some, they had a track record here. They had some experience. They had history with this man, John Mark. <clears throat> they, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they what? That they what? Mm. Barnabas took Mark... And sailed for Cyprus. And if I had the map, I could kind of show you the areas that they were in. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So we see this parting of the way. I'm going my way. You go your way. Uh, I'll take John Mark. No, that's fine. You can have him. I'm taking Silas. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, this is, a, this is, as I said earlier, it's an intriguing story, but I find it a story of great interest because it's sort of a story within a story that sometimes gets lost within the bigger picture. And quite honestly, if I can just make a confession here publicly, this is a story that I've read many times and thought about numerous times, and it troubles me to no end. 
And I'll tell you why in a little bit. And I hope it's okay for me to say that. That this story really bothers me. It, it really gets under my skin. The, the reason it troubles me is because so far, up through the book of Acts, 14 chapters plus, whenever the church had a disagreement, and let's just go on record as reminding ourselves that they had some very significant disagreements, they would always work through them, and they would always come to a solution which kept unity, say that word with me, unity. that always kept unity within the church and within the group of believers. Yet in this circumstance, it seemed like the history or the track record kind of took over. Because Paul and Barnabas, after all they'd been through together, I mean, there were missionary partners working side by side, just laboring, successfully spreading the good news of Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. And when they decided they were going to return to the mission field and they were going to check up on the a lot of the people who had come to the Lord during their travels, they just could not get past one certain issue. And it says here, we just read it together, and this is what bothers me so, is that eventually led to their parting of ways. Now, what was the dividing issue? Well, the dividing issue was, should they bring John Mark again on their trip? Should he be part of their team or not? It seems like at the outset, and as you just look at it from the surface, it looks like it's an insignificant issue. But quite obviously, with Paul and with Barnabas, it was more than insignificant. It was very, very significant. As a matter of fact, if you've read the book of Acts, or if you've read it lately, or if you're even just familiar with it, you might remember that John Mark, because that name John Mark, because when Paul and Barnabas started out, on what's called the first missionary journey, they took John Mark along with them. But after their very first stop on the island uh, of Cyprus, they went to the mainland, that was Pamphylia, and the, and the place was Perga, it's modern-day Turkey, and Acts 13.13 13 says Mark left them. He abandoned the mission to return to Jerusalem. And when we read Acts 13, 13, it doesn't really make it sound like a big deal. It's like, okay, they're doing their work. The three of them are together. Everything's fine. Oh, John Mark's left them. He's going back to Jerusalem. It sounds like he just had to go back. Uh, maybe it was mission-related. Maybe not. Yet when we read Paul's comments in this passage this morning, in the 15th chapter, things are far different. We realize that Mark bailed out on them. Our passage says he deserted them. He left unexpectedly. We don't know why he bailed. He could have had cold feet, didn't like this kind of work, didn't want to be that far away from home. Maybe he was just the idea of going to a foreign land where he didn't know anybody, never seen any of these people, never been there before. Maybe the mission work was harder than he thought. All ministry is harder than you think when you first start. Perhaps he was uh, homesick. Maybe he just wanted to see his family and his loved ones. He just had to get back to Jerusalem. I know his mother lived there because uh, the early disciples gathered at her house to pray for Peter when Peter was in jail. You can read that in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Or perhaps there, there, was, a, there was a Jewish festival going on, like the Passover, 
which all Jews were supposed to participate in, if at all possible. I, I don't know what was going on. We, do, we don't know why he left. But we do know that Paul was not happy about John Mark bailing out on the mission. He was very, very disappointed in Mark's departure. He did not entertain for a moment the idea of taking Mark along just to be disappointed again. He said, we take him, he'll leave us again, it'll be a a crucial moment in our mission work, and you'll say to me, where's John Mark? And I'll say to you, where's John Mark? And he's gone again. I don't want to go into that. It's kind of like the saying we have today, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here to Barnabas. Nope, we took John Mark before. I've learned my lesson. This is tough work. Nope. And they were so divided over this, hard to believe as we look at it, that they parted ways. The idea, and, and that's human. It's not uncommon. It's not unnatural. So stay with me, because I want to get down to the heart of this. The idea of taking Mark along was so objectionable to Paul that these good friends, I'm talking now partners in mission, decided to part ways. What was once a great team, the Paul and Barnabas team, is now divided. Both men are very passionate about reaching people for Jesus and making new disciples, but they could not come to an agreement regarding Mark. Barnabas took Mark, went back to this homeland of uh, uh, the island of Cyprus. Paul took Silas to the Christians that he had helped lead to the Lord in his home region uh, of Pisidia, I said, as part of what would be modern-day Turkey. Now, there are two or three things in this story, within the story, that I want us to notice this morning. And the first one is something that we've all had to deal with in life, I'm sure, and if not, hang on, because it's coming. And that is disappointment and disagreement. I don't really need to poll the audience to see who's had any experience with either one of those things. I know the answer. It's not that I'm smart, it's just that I'm human, and I realize that that's exactly the kind of stuff that we're faced with. You see, it's not just their failure to work out the issue that bothers me. The reason the story doesn't sit well with me is because I haven't seen any evidence of grace. I haven't seen any evidence of spirit-filled living. I haven't seen any... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about Paul and Barnabas, really the first New Testament missionaries of the gospel. We're not talking about the little leagues here. We're talking about the major league hitters. And in the back of my mind, I'm still wondering, as I read this even today, again, for the umpteenth, dozenteen time, what is God's will? Where is God's grace toward John Mark? Why isn't it, if there is any, being exhibited? I don't blame Paul altogether for feeling the way he did. I have to admit, again, confession is good for the soul, that I probably would have felt the same way if I were in a situation. I can't tell you exactly because I'm not in that situation, but it, I've had some things that would parallel that. But was Paul responding I want to ask you, does it sound like he's responding out of a grace-filled leading of the Holy Spirit, or is it out of fleshly disappointment in this young man, Mark? 
I know Paul and Silas went on and they continued their ministry. Man, Paul and Silas did some great missions work together and they greatly expanded the kingdom of God and the growth of the church. But I'm still sitting here saying, what about Mark? What about John Mark? What about your feelings towards him? What about the way you've acted? What about this whole idea of not even giving this John Mark consideration? Now, This brings up a question for all of us. What do we do when other Christians disappoint us or fail us? Everybody in this room that's been around much, or you've lived much life, or you've been a Christian for X number of years, you've had another person disappoint you. And yes, even other Christians. And... For the sake of this message, I want to focus on Christians because, by and large, that's who I'm speaking to this morning. And if you're not in that number, our prayer is that you will that you will have that leading today to come to Christ and to follow him and to be a disciple of Christ. But I want to talk about people who follow Christ and they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Look, at some point in our life, at some time, in some place, Somewhere, let's keep it in the Christian context, there's going to be a pastor. I know this is hard to believe. This is hard to swallow. It's almost impossible, isn't it, when you're in this church? There's going to be a pastor. Forget it. There's going to be a parent. There could be a grandparent. Could be a spouse. Could be a brother. Could be a friend. Could be, did I say a sister, a cousin, (laughs) someone from the church, some Christian, you and I as Christians, we love to pick on Christians, who has or will disappoint me or disappoint you. They didn't live up to my expectation. Or they didn't live up or they don't live up to your expectation. They made a grievous mistake. Or perhaps, worst of all, they fell to the devil's pressure and they actually sinned. We have to be careful here, because I don't want to ask who among us here has never sinned. Okay. So what do we do? Do we just part ways? Do we put up those invisible emotional walls to block the person out? You know, and you know what I'm talking about. You've been on one side of the wall or the other, I'm sure, in your life at least once. And then we start distancing ourselves from this person emotionally and possibly physically and talking with them less and less or even avoiding them. Instead of talking with them, we talk about them. Or do we let them back in and do we allow them space and do we give them trust and where, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where do we draw the line? It's tough. One of his books, I love this book, Dr. Tony Evans shared this story. I love this story. Maybe it'll help us speak to this situation. One day, Dr. Evans said, two monks were walking through the countryside and they were on their way to another village to help bring in the crops. And as they walked, they spied an old woman sitting at the edge of the river. She was upset, very upset, because there was no bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. And the first monk kindly offered, well, ma'am, we will carry you across if you would like. Oh, thank you, she said, gratefully accepting their help. So those two men joined hands, and they 
kind of got beneath her and lifted her between them, and they carried her across the river. And when they got to the other side, they set her down. And after she got her breath back, she went on her way. And after they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. Oh, look at my clothes, he said. They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. And oh, my back still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it getting stiffer and tighter all the time. The first monk just smiled and nodded his head. A few more miles up the road, the second monk griped again. Oh, my back's hurting me so badly, and, and it's all because we had to carry that silly woman across the river. I cannot go any further because of the pain. And the first monk looked down at his partner, now lying on the ground and moaning and carrying on. And he said to him, Have you ever wondered why I am not complaining? Your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. But I set her down five miles ago. Friends this morning, and I mean that, friends. I wonder how many of us are still carrying burdens we should have set down years ago. Hurts and wounds that have cut us deeply, but we never found the healing for. See, we're ready to accept the grace of God on our behalf without reservation. But for some reason, we refuse to pass it on. I don't come to you as any kind of expert in this or any other interpersonal relationship field. Personally, I only have 40-plus years in the ministry. I only have 25-plus years in public service. But I can say this as a relative rookie, in my personal life, in my own family over the years, in the churches, with friends, with colleagues, I've at times been very surprised. I've at other times felt very betrayed. I've been let down. And I know that I've probably done all those things to other people as well. Matter of fact, there have been times where I felt absolutely shell-shocked. And I know disappointment. And I know that it hurts. And I know that the closer that person is, that deacon or that elder or that family friend or that family member or somebody that you'd like to just reach out to and touch and bring into the fold that may be just a stranger to, to you. Otherwise, the closer they seem to be, the more painful it is. And it is so easy to distance ourselves. And we say, if I distance myself, then I can just live in this box and I can forget everything that's outside those walls and everything's fine. That's how many people handle disappointment and disagreement. But I want to ask the question again, if I could put it to you just as square and honestly as I can. Got grace? Share it. The second thing I want to call to your attention is we all have an opportunity to be a Barnabas. And that's about offering encouragement and grace. 
I know you'd have a hard time believing it because this man wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament and he's in the Hall of Fame of, of great Christians. But the Apostle Paul made a decision that put up a wall, friend. He did not want John Mark on his team. I can't, I'm having trouble with that. Now you say, oh, I guess he just didn't like Mark. I guess he just had no use for him. doesn't say that. He just didn't trust him. Mark had broken the trust now once before. He's not going to trust him again. So Paul makes what we call a pragmatic decision. And a pragmatic decision, pragmatism is, in a very simple definition, it's common sense in the moment. So Paul makes this pragmatic decision because the spreading of the gospel should not be compromised by one person's lack of commitment and Mark lack commitment, so I can't help. I'm not, I'm not taking him. But I can't help but wonder, did Paul make the right decision? You see, how do we balance pragmatism, the common sense in the moment decision, with grace? When it comes to Christians who disappoint us, it even becomes harder. You see, Paul learned that Mark wasn't going to hang in during that first missionary journey, and that's all that he could think about. So he was leaning towards pragmatism, and Barnabas leaned toward grace because he believed that Mark deserved a second chance or a third chance or a hundred chances or whatever he thought because Barnabas was that kind of a man, and he, had a, and he figured Mark has a lot to offer the church, and I don't want to cut him out. And I don't want to just throw them away. Now, how do we know when to offer grace and encouragement? How do we know when to be more pragmatic and not to be fooled again? And I wish I could just stand here and say, oh, you want to really know that? I'll give you the three-step process. And I don't have it. And nobody else does either. This is human development here we're talking. We need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And we need, are you listening? The discerning of other Christians. This is a matter of prayer. Having said that, man, we've been in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of places, and this church not excluded, where we have had to get on our knees and pray and say this is not a matter of judgment. This is not a matter of just, okay, we'll make the pragmatic decision and boom, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Where does grace come in? Where does forgiveness come in? Where does God come in? When it comes to Christians who disappoint us and Let me tell you, I wish I had a three-step process. I wish I had a one-step process, but I don't even have that. It's a matter of prayer. Having said that, there are a few markers that can help us, and these are just markers. We can ask, one, is there evidence of sorrow over past behavior? That's a symbol of something. Two, we can say, has there been a change of behavior? Three, we can say, has the person grown spiritually closer to Christ? And have I, the apparently offended person, grown nearer, closer, more intimate in my relationship with Christ? Or am I further away now? Have you matured spiritually after your incident or your conflict or your transgression or whatever it might be? Now, if it's yes to all those questions, then we need to be willing to extend the same grace and mercy that Jesus extends to us. That's just a biblical principle. That's not news. If we can see some kind of change, if we understand there's some kind of hope, 
If we want to make it right, then we ought to be willing to extend the same grace and mercy that Jesus extends to us. Even though we continue to sin, Is anybody here all done sinning? You've sinned your last time? That's all in the past. Forget that. Never do that again. <clears throat> Step forward, if so. Even though we continue to sin, and hopefully we continue to sin less and less, and even though we disappoint Jesus with our selfishness, see, he said the whole doing unto others thing, yet when we repent, we make an effort to turn from sin and ask for forgiveness, He forgives us unconditionally. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He renews the right spirit within us. That's what David asked for in Psalm 51. Even though we make mistakes, how many have ever made mistakes and are still making one or two now and then? At least one a year, okay? By the way, making mistakes in modern vernacular is code for sin. I love it when people say, yeah, well, she made, yeah, she made quite a mistake. Uh, is that spelled S-I-N? But we have to code everything, soften it down. So, if we make mistakes... <laughs> And Jesus looks past our mistakes. Don't have to answer this. Just throwing it out there. Shouldn't we do the same for other Christians? Shouldn't I? I'm not going to say we. I'm not going to involve you and I'm not going to indict you. I'm thinking of myself here. Paul himself wrote this to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Oh, 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 he's not done with that sentence. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And every once in a while, that just, I mean, that just hits me upside the head. That's how it's done. I was just reading an article this past week. And it was an article, it seemed like it was just right out of somebody's history. It was from a pastor who had a hardworking, faithful, involved, tithing couple in his fellowship. And they came to him one day, and as he writes in his own words, I'm just quoting, he said, with folded arms and wrinkled foreheads. And they made it clear that if he continued to let a certain young lady attend that church, they were leaving. Oh, 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 along with their money. This young lady had hurt their daughter, as well as others in the church, including even the pastor's daughter. But the pastor was reminded of the words of Jesus about forgiving someone 70 times 7 if they repent. And asked for forgiveness. And he reminded the couple that the young girl appeared to have genuinely repented. And she had demonstrated sorrow for what she had done. And so no, he would not tell her to leave. And no, he was not putting her out of the church. And no, she was not going to be doing anything differently. And the couple left the church. Seen it many times. Hardened. Angry. Unwilling to offer grace. 
The other side of the story is, yet the young lady, as of last week at least, is still walking with Jesus. Why? Because the church, yeah, that's right, a group of Christians offered her grace. Church, do our actions demonstrate we are people of grace? That's the big question for the morning. It said, you know, people like, and, and this is interesting, we just say, well, people love to, to fire away at Christians. Boy, I'll tell you what, let's just, let's just bring this down to where it really is. Christians love to shoot at Christians. It said when the British and French were fighting in Canada, before it was Canada, in the 1750s, Admiral Phipps was the commander of the British fleet, and he was given orders to anchor just outside of Quebec City. His orders were to wait for the British land forces to arrive, then support them from the water when they attacked the city. Good strategy. Phipps's navy arrived early. So as the admirable, admirable admiral was waiting, he was looking at the landscape there in, in Quebec, And he became annoyed by the statues of the saints that adorned the towers of their nearby cathedral. So he commanded his men to shoot at them with the ship's cannons. Uh, Nobody knows how many rounds were fired or how many statues were knocked out. But when the land forces eventually arrived and the signal was given to attack, Admiral Phipps was of no help. Listen, 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 listen. Because he'd used up all his ammunition shooting at the saints. True story. Unfortunately, the same could be said for many Christians today. And when that happens, when God calls on them to do something for Him, they have nothing left to give. They have nothing to offer. Because they've used up their ammunition shooting at the saints. A communist once said that that Christians are the only army in the world that shoot their own wounded and leave them for dead. Are we known as the people of grace? Or do we like to play God and do all the judging and then just discard people when we're done with them? You see, Paul seemed to forget his own story of grace extended to him. And may I say I'm not talking about the saving grace of God through Christ? I'm talking about the grace extended to him by the Christians. Now let's go back and talk about that history. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Paul, actually he was Saul at the time. He was a persecutor of the church. He was going down the Damascus Road for one purpose. What was it? To persecute some more Christians and to get some more notches in his belt, so to speak. Everyone he could kill, all the better. It's being repeated right now in the Middle East as you and I sit and stand here. Nothing different. But when the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he was changed, transformed into a new person. How? By the grace of God. Yet even though he had had this radical conversion, when he went back to Jerusalem to meet the leadership of the church, they would not touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. Woo! Don't even mention his name. We've heard some stories about him. They were afraid. 
That this was nothing more than a trick to lure them out to be thrown in jail, or worse, maybe he was just pretending to be a Christian to draw them out, like, like a sting operation, where Paul was the undercover, and they didn't realize he really had been changed by the power of Jesus, but someone extended grace to Paul. Now listen to what the Scripture says he did. Acts chapter 9. Verse 26 and 27. So when he came to Jerusalem, that's Saul of Tarsus, when he came to Jerusalem, he's now going to be called Paul from here on, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. That had to be hard to take. I want you to read the next two words with me. Would you do that, verse 27? But, say it again with conviction, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Can I remind you just three chapters back that when, that when no one else would believe in Saul, or now Paul, who believed in him? Barnabas, he extended grace to him, he stuck up for him, he stuck his own neck out is what he really did, even bringing him into the apostles' band. Now, do you know that Barnabas wasn't even his real name? His real name was Joseph. Acts 4.36. Yep. But the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So here's Barnabas being an encourager. Here's Joseph being called Barnabas, which is his, I'm going to call it, nickname. Yet I find it ironic that it was Paul, the one who had been shown grace. I I find this, this staggers my mind. Are you getting a hold of where I am? I just, have you ever noticed this? How many have read the book of Acts ever before in your lifetime? The whole book of Acts. Okay. It's a good read and you can do it in an evening. Just sometimes just sit down and read the book of Acts because it's just a continuing story and there's so many stories within the story and so many, obviously, after all these years, that you miss or you just don't, it doesn't catch your attention. It doesn't grip you like it should have maybe the last time you read it. I find it ironic that it's Paul, the one who had been shown grace. I mean, his life really would have been in danger coming back to Jerusalem if it hadn't been for Barnabas. He is now, in the 15th chapter, refusing to give the young man, Mark, a second shot in the mission field. And once again, it was Barnabas who believed in Mark. And he wanted to encourage him in his leadership and his passion for mission work. Even though Barnabas had discerned Paul's transformation, Paul didn't seem to trust Barnabas's discernment on Mark. I'm saying this to say that, or I'm saying that to say this. It is important to listen to those around us who have the, who have the discernment of God, and it's a gift, and who are good judges of character. 
Paul wouldn't listen to Barnabas. Barnabas had a track record of being good at discerning people. Barnabas was the one who stuck his neck out for Paul when he came back to Jerusalem and stood up for him amongst the disciples and offered him grace. And now Paul doesn't trust the judgment of Barnabas. Isn't this ironic? Doesn't that strike you? Doesn't that strike you? Something struck you. Doesn't that strike you? It's almost... it's very simple. It's very human. I mean, it happens all the time, I guess. But this just, this just blows me away. Sometimes we get so... I would think that Paul would be going around saying, man, I remember Barnabas stood up for me. Man, here's a guy. He's got discernment. He's a great judge of character. Yes, there, boy. He opened the way for me. You know, Now that's like all forgotten. You see, here's why. Sometimes we get so emotionally wrapped up in the situation that we lose perspective. That's when it helps to have another person whom we respect who is a good judge of character. Not just another person. There's no strength in numbers, regardless of what they say, but there's strength in people who have the gift of discernment and are good judges of character. So if you got grace, share it. Share it. I know, I, 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 I'm going to say very few of us, and I don't want to, again, indict you if you're not part of that, but very few of us spend much time extending grace. And here's why. Because we're so caught up in our disappointment. Are we so much into something now, it has taken on its own life, and we can't let it go. So we continue to be angry. Been there, been there, been there, I've been there. And bitterness becomes obvious, and it's not just towards the person that you first were angry with or bitter at. Now it's spreading out to other people. And that's just exactly how it happens. So now the third thing I want us to see this morning, matter of fact, what I want us to do is I want us to quote Paul Harvey who said, and now, here's, good. You see, kind of like Paul Harvey's rest of the story, what happened to that young man, Mark, to whom Barnabas had extended grace and encouragement? I want you to note this, if you're a note taker. We never hear about Barnabas or Mark for the rest of the book of Acts. Why? Because it all focuses on Paul's mission work, and a great work it was. So we don't know for sure what happened after the parting of the ways. But we can piece some things together rather authoritatively, I believe, through Paul's writing. I believe if you go on in the New Testament, and we're going to do that in a moment, it's very clear that Paul had a change of attitude towards Mark. We started off looking at Paul and Barnabas disagreeing over Mark. We're going to find out that the story doesn't end very badly, as a matter of fact, rather nicely. But in between, can I just tell you? Paul had to have a change of attitude. 
Not Mark. Not even Barnabas. But old pragmatic Paul. As a matter of fact, Mark became a very important leader. And he once again ascended to the place where he was a helper in Paul's later mission work. Very interesting. Yes. At the end of two of Paul's letters in in the New Testament, namely Colossians and Philemon, he writes these words. First in Colossians 4.10. He writes, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Ooh. As does whom? The cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, tie him up with a rope and kick him till he's dead. I have absolutely less than no use for him. Is that what it said? If he comes to you, welcome him. What is that? G-R-A-C-E, I'll give you a hint. It is grace. And in Philemon, verses 23 and 24, here's what Paul wrote. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So they're in the dungeon, they're in prison. Paul's not going to last long, I don't think. Sends you greetings. Verse 24 says, and so do, and so do, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. In other words, when Paul wrote both of these letters, Mark was there with him, helping him in the mission work. Interesting, though. You're still not convinced, I can tell. In the very last letter that Paul wrote before his death, he's writing it to his fellow missionary and spiritual son in the faith, none other than Timothy. And here's what he writes in 2 Timothy 4.11. He said, only Luke is with me. He knows he's only got a few days to live. Get. Sounds so good. I think I'll do it too. Get. There you go. And bring him with you. Because he is to in my ministry. Good night. Did I just read that? Did we just see that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It's got to be true. The same Paul who refused to take Mark with him on the second journey because he's afraid he would desert him actually asked Timothy, go get Mark and bring him to me because of how helpful he is to my ministry. Notice he didn't say, bring Mark and he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What did he say? Bring Mark because he is helpful. Somewhere in between the division of Paul and Barnabas in the writing of 2 Timothy, approximately about 18 years, Paul, and some of you are sitting here saying, it's going to take 18 years to get over this? (laughs) No, some people... Go a whole lifetime. They never, they never drop it. So you could be heading there. You could go 18 years. You could drop it today. 
and get a smile back on your face. Paul had a change of heart toward Mark. I don't know all the circumstances. I don't need to. I just, I'm just reading the evidence to you, folks. Paul even wanted Mark to be with him during his last days on earth. That's how important he was to the apostle Paul. After all this wonderful ministry, according to tradition, do you know that's the same Mark who went on to write the gospel, attributed to his name in the Bible, which is thought by scholars to be the first of the four gospels written. And as it turns out, Barnabas was right after all to give Mark a second chance. Barnabas was right. You got Paul on the one side. You got Barnabas on the other. They have the disagreement. They part ways. One is wrong and one is right. Can't both be right. And can't both be wrong necessarily. And in this instance, Barnabas got it right. I ask this question sometimes. What would have happened to Mark if Barnabas hadn't believed in him? What if Paul and Barnabas said, yeah, that's right, yeah, he, he copped out on us and yeah, yeah, he's just baggage. We don't want him. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul would have missed a great helper in the mission field, and we might not have Mark's gospel in the Bible today. We probably wouldn't. You know, that became the groundwork for the gospels of Matthew and Luke. <laughs> Important? Ah, ah. You say, oh, well, this is just a Bible story, and these are people in the Bible. That's right, they're people. I don't care where they are, they're people. They're people in the faith. They're people in the fellowship. They're people in the kingdom. They're people in the family of God, just like you are. And just like that adversary of yours. Be good to your enemies. Guess who made them? What might the result be if we extend grace and encouragement to those believers who have disappointed us? And did we ever have one? Well, if you haven't, God love you and God bless you. As soon as you get out of your cocoon, I'm sure you're going to enjoy life. But yes, we have them, and we've had them. But what might God do in their lives through our acts of grace? It's unlimited. No, it isn't unlimited. It's limitless. There are no limits on what God can do if we would just offer some grace. In your mind right now, is there a Christian or are there some Christians? <laughs> Please don't look around. Spouses, no, no nudging. Who maybe God has brought to your mind this morning. Or maybe as you think about this message, you say, oh yeah, I wrote her off. I wrote him off. I wrote them off. I don't even want to bring that up. I don't want to. Might God, might. Nobody can live your life for you. You have to make these decisions. But might God be inviting you to be his avenue of grace to that other person or other persons? Got grace? Share it. You got grace? Share it. Have you ever been extended grace? Share it. Have you ever accepted it, just freely accepted it and say, whew, thank you. Share it. Ever think you might be in need of it in times to come? 
Think about it. You can invest this ahead of time. Share it. Share it. Put it in God's bank. Got grace. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Well, you just don't. Don't. I've heard that line for 50 years. I'm just saying this, my friend, is the eternal inspired word of God. This isn't some man's psychobabble. This is the real deal. And if you've got grace, please, for your sake, for my sake, for the church's sake, share it. I've got a song that we've kind of chosen for this moment. 